If you are a greater Bostonian, you live in one of the most interesting cities in the world, filled with some of the most interesting people. A person of interest could be anyone. The person need not be among the rich and famous, although being rich and famous does not exclude someone from this title. A person of interest is someone, anyone, with an interesting story. In each episode, we will interview a person whose life has had its dramas. It could be you. You are probably an interesting person. You have undoubtedly had a life filled with dramatic moments, both big and small. If you would like us to interview you, please contact us. If not, please listen to your neighbors, friends, and community members that we interview and be inspired by the wonders of their life stories. And now, for our episode. Our person of interest for today is an exuberant, outgoing, exciting person whose passion in life is children. As part of his interest, he served two different Newton schools as PTO president and ran a nonprofit called Newton Destination Imagination, which encourages kids to do creative problem solving. He is currently serving his first term on the Newton School Committee. Matthew and his husband have adopted three children, and it is this which puts them high on the list as a person of interest. In the past, you have served as a family resource liaison for the Massachusetts Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children in Boston. From that experience, can you share what you learned about foster parenting? My specific assignment was to work with a group called the ADLU group. So different from all the other regional foster groups, this was a group of foster parents who had the goal of adoption in mind. One thing I learned over the years of doing it is that we are in a crisis. We don't have places to put kids. We have kids that are coming in um, addicted to drugs uh, or pulled out of families for various reasons. And I would like to see some of my Metro West neighbors open their doors to adopting. You and your husband have three boys. What motivated you to become a parent? Hard question to answer because I don't think there was any clear motivator. I think it was an evolution. I knew I wanted children. I knew I wanted a family, but it took me a while to get there. I think the, motiva the motivating factor was legacy. I grew up in a small family, just my sister and I and was always envious of families that were much larger and had extended relatives. My husband's mom has eight siblings and he has cousins everywhere. So there was something very attractive about the idea of a large extended family and I envisioned myself being the patriarch at Thanksgiving dinner and having grandchildren all around me. So for me, having a family was a step towards that vision. And it was done, at, once the decision was made, it was done very methodically. We talked about ways moving forward and our ways for obvious reasons were limited. <laughs> so we made the decision to start a family and did our research 
and just took put one foot in front of the other. I'd like to ask you, how does your husband feel? Does he feel very similarly to you, and did he feel very similarly to you as you were going through the adoption process? Yes, the biggest difference being he's 10 years older than I am. So we both wanted children. I could have waited a few more years. He, on the other hand, wanted to start sooner. So I think the compromise was let's go ahead and get started and I'll just be a young dad. And I have to tell you, being a young dad is pretty great. So I'm glad things worked out the way they did. My husband definitely is all for kids. He works at a pediatrics office and we call him the baby whisperer because he will, if anyone has a baby out there and they need someone to just come and hold the baby, that's he's your guy. He would do that 24 hours a day. If you paid him, he would just hold your baby for the rest of his life. So yeah, we both really came from a place of definitely wanting a family and purposely making the decision to move forward. Matthew, how old were each of your children when you adopted them? So Randall, who is my youngest, came to me at the age of three months. He was in foster care until about one, one and a half. So he was in foster care for one year. We call that foster to adopt or temporary you know, moving towards adoption is pre-adoptive. So when we adopted him, he was just over one. You were his foster parents, right? That's correct. Technically, any parent that adopts a child from the state of Massachusetts starts out as a foster parent. That is, you can't just jump right into adopting. You have to foster by law for a period of time, uh, make sure it's a good fit for both parties. So every adoptive parent is pre-adoptive to start. So he was foster um, or pre-adoptive, as I mentioned, for about a year. The other two were a slightly different situation. They showed up at our door at the ages of seven and four when Randall was two. We were living in a basement apartment in Brighton and didn't have all the room, but said yes to someone on the phone and they showed up an hour later while we were in the middle of dinner. So we went from a family of two to a, fam a family of three to a family of five in the course of an hour. They had already been to two prior foster families that did not work out. They were long-term foster that was meant to move into adoption and that fell through twice. So by the time they got to us, they were free for adoption. So we fostered them just for a few months before we moved into formally adopting them. So in summary, three months, four years, and seven years old. How did your youngest son, who was there at the time of the adoption of the two older ones, feel about, how did he adjust to the adoption? I'm actually sitting right next to him looking at his facial expressions as I answer this question. He doesn't remember. He was two at the time. And two years being just with us, being a single child, 
raising him from being an infant, changing his diaper, seeing him go through the growth every day. And all of a sudden we had these two older children come in and to say that they took up quite a bit of time and attention would be a euphemism. They came in with a pretty significant set of challenges that really pushed Harold and I to places we did not think we were ever gonna go. It was very challenging. Plus we decided to move out of Boston at the time due to public school placement for the oldest, Jeremy, who was entering first grade at the time. And so there was a lot of change and a lot of adjustment. And while my youngest might not remember all those details, one thing I've learned through parenting these three kids is the effect of trauma. Trauma takes seed and puts down roots, becomes a part of your fabric, and doesn't really go away. You just have to learn how to cope. And I think we were all affected in good ways and bad ways. It brought us to cl closer together, made us stronger parents. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see when he gets to the point where he's older and can think back and reflect what he'll say. As we were mentioning earlier, he is the youngest in our family and yet has been with our family the longest. It's a unique situation. And my hope is that he will find the strength in what he has gone through and be able to turn any trauma into a source of growth, a foundation to learn and be more empathetic all around. So we'll see. Did the agency make you aware of the circumstances in which your children became free for adoption? If so, what were they? The Department of Children and Families, and I will preface this answer by saying this is an agency that is underfunded, that is trying to do the impossible with no money. If there were any shortcomings in information or if there's any critique, it's with that underlying knowledge that the people that are in their positions are doing the best they can. For each of the adoption processes, when we were first notified, there's a trickling of information. I think a lot of people that I talk to who are just getting into the process expect the information to come in a very organized, complete fashion. And that is just not what happens typically. And it's certainly not what happened for me. I got a phone call. It was, I was told that there was a child, in my youngest case, very minimal information. I was told it was high risk. I was told that his father, his biological father, had committed suicide and that his mother was addicted to narcotics and that it did not look like there was another family member who would be able to move forward. So it was high risk, but I was given enough information for my husband and I to think about the risk and make a decision to move forward. 
feeling like there was enough of a storyline that we knew where we stood. As far as his health, we were told he was healthy, a healthy baby boy. Um, That was the gist of the information. And I can't recall how quickly all of it came out over the course of a couple weeks, I would say. For the older two, that the information comes out slowly over time. We received a call again about two boys. We knew that their mom had signed over her rights already, so we knew that they were free for adoption. So we knew that it was not high risk. And we knew that they were healthy, that there were certainly going to be challenges, and that one of them was on a IEP or individualized education plan. So we knew enough, again, to move forward. Through the process, there was more information given. And before adopting, we received as much information that the agency had all at one time. And that's when really we got the details, such as finding out Randall's grandfather was a violinist and that his grandmother immigrated to East Boston. And so we got a whole bunch of historical information. It takes time. It doesn't come all at once. So I always tell foster parents to withhold their expectation that they're going to get everything in a nice, neat little package. It takes a leap of faith. How did you acculturate each of your kids to the routine of your household? Not very easily would be my answer. Um, If you think about when my 7-year-old and 4-year-old at the time, now 15 and 11, came to our home, we went from knowing relatively nothing about parenting. We had raised a 2-year-old up until that point. All of a sudden, we had a child in grade school and we had a child wearing pull-up kids that were at a completely different emotional level than the child that we had we didn't have nine months of pregnancy we didn't have years of raising a baby and learning from mistakes we jumped into parenting three boys quite literally overnight Getting them acquainted with our family and us acquainted to them was not an easy process. It took time and a lot of trial and error. I remember specifically we were we were on vacation during the first year and we were at a restaurant. I think um, it was the holiday season coming up. Along the way, I don't remember who mentioned it, but it came up that We weren't going to have a Christmas tree because we were Jewish. Jeremy, the oldest, really was affected by that. He was raised with Santa Claus and with the Christmas tree. And we realized we couldn't just say, well, this is the way we do things in our family and you're going to have to adjust. We had to do some adjusting too. So I think... That's a really good metaphor for how we moved forward was compromise on both sides. We had to compromise to them. We had to learn what they expected and see where we could meet them. And they too had to slowly work their way into our family and what it meant to all of a sudden have another brother, two dads, to live in a new city, 
to go to a new school to realize that they were part of a completely different family. How do they relate now religiously? Are they all feeling Jewish or you still have Christian, Christian feelings among the kids or how do they relate to religion generally? Good question. Um, we are raising them Jewish. We do the you know cultural elements of Christmas and Easter. We do hide eggs and we have a Christmas tree. But in terms of religious education, they do go to Hebrew school. And my oldest son was bar mitzvahed. They have adapted very well to the Jewish identity. A large part of that being that we live in an area where there's a lot of Jewish children. And so that population is just, it's easier to acclimate when you talk about Hanukkah and all your friends are also talking about Hanukkah. So in that way, we were very fortunate in terms of transitioning to the Jewish identity for all three of them. My husband was raised Roman Catholic and recently converted to Judaism. So we've tried to lay the foundation of this is how we're raising you, but you're free to explore other religions and come up with your own ideologies about religion. My middle son was very vocal in his Hebrew class about God and how silly it was to talk about these stories of an ark and, you know, Adam and Eve or whatnot. Fortunately, I live in a community and send them to a temple where they were able to have those discussions and say, you can still be Jewish and believe whatever you want to believe about God. So short answer to your question, they all identify as Jewish and wherever that takes them is okay with me. How long did it take for your kids to love each of you and to feel they were part of a secure family unit in which they were loved and also loved you? It's really an impossible question to answer because I don't know. I don't know if my children love me to any certain extent. It's hard to define that and how comfortable they feel in the family when they first came, and I'm referring to the two oldest children when they came at the ages of seven and four, there was definitely a huge gap. They were not connected. There was no trust. There was no emotional bond whatsoever. And I told myself, it will take the same number of years as they were outside of our family to spend in our family to get to a place where that gap is almost non-existent. So I thought, okay, well, I have a seven-year-old. By the time he's 14, seven years with my family, that will be enough time for him to feel settled and really identify as part of this family. He's now 15. And I think we're there. I do. I believe that he identifies as part of the family. I feel he loves the family. 
I think he loves me. I think he loves his brothers. And I think he realizes that it's permanent and that it's forever. However, I also feel that there will always be a part of him, whether he recognizes it or not, that thinks, well, maybe not. Maybe tomorrow a policeman's going to knock on the door and take me away. Because he went through that twice. He was told two times that he was going to be a permanent part of a family. And two times he was removed. A promise was broken. And that trauma, as I mentioned before, that you cannot dig up those seeds. They're like weeds. They don't just go away. They stay there. And you can trim them down and you could whack at them. But they're going to grow back. Well, I think he's smart enough to know, and we've showed him the adoption papers. You know, We've been very honest about it. And then he'll come up with a very poignant question. Okay, Dad, great, I'm adopted. Well, what if you die? I said, well, then Abba will raise you. What if both of you die? Well, then your aunt and uncle will raise you. What if they die? So I know that his train of thought is nothing is a given. It's just that that um, that fiction that everything's a given and, and is for certain that a child of a biological family has is uh, doesn't work for him. That's not his narrative. So I do think, and I'm talking about him particularly because he's the one that I think remembers the most I think he identifies and knows he's a part of this family but there's always going to be that small fraction what about the four-year-old same answer different degree he went through the same experiences but he was much younger so when he was taken away for that one year and then another year he was too young to really remember that so the memories he's going on are his older brother's memories, the stories that he's been told. So they're secondhand. Um, there's the physical trauma and the, the memory to his body, and your brain does absorb that trauma even if you don't, as a two-year-old, understand what's going on. And then there's the reflection and the stories and memories that are told. I think he definitely has a bond with us. I think he's settled. He sees his life set and um, defined by our family and by our you know, home and community. But as he gets older, there will be reflection and there will be that question. And I think from talking to adopted kids, I'm, I'm fascinated. Anyone... Anytime someone tells me that they're adopted, I'm, I'm fascinated. I always ask them um, the same question. And the question I ask them is, is there ever a day you wake up and don't think about or recognize that you are adopted? I ask that to every single person that I run into that's adopted. And the answer is always no. Every day I recognize that I'm adopted. Do you ask that question to kids who adopted at birth or very, you know, in infancy? Absolutely. I mean, I'm asking them as adults, 
But yes, I have talked to people who have been adopted prior to any recollection or memory. All they've known is their family. And yet that knowledge, that storyline, that fantasy for many does not go away. It is part of their fabric. And my take on it is, okay, great. Let's embrace that. Fine. Let's um, celebrate that you have this storyline. And instead of running away from it, embrace it every day as another piece of you that makes you unique and gives you another experience that many people don't have. And hopefully my children will get to a place where they feel emotionally secure to say, I can be more than one thing. I can be part of this family and feel absolutely connected. And I could also be a child who has a biological mother and father and who had a foster family. You know, a family tree doesn't have to be one thing. It can be anything you make of it. So we're hopefully giving them the foundation and the skills to get to that secure place that is a new definition of what it means to be part of a family. Did you experience some difficulties with any of the children because of their past, and did you overcome them? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Yes. The answer is a resounding yes. Many difficulties. Um to the point where I remember when our oldest two came to us during the first month, we questioned whether we could even do it. We questioned whether we could, we had enough patience and understanding and empathy to move forward because that trauma that I referenced led to rage led to emotions, led to physical violence, and just so many hard points. And how we overcame it was looking into each other's eyes, and I distinctly remember saying, we have to stick with it. We have to do what it's going to take. We cannot give up on these kids. And it meant therapy. It meant driving to five different therapists. It meant working with the schools. It meant a lot of reflection, self-reflection. I actually ended up going to therapy because there was one day when it got to be too much for me and I was working. And I remember my youngest wanted my attention for something and I got really upset and I threw something at him and it hit him on the head and he started bleeding and I said this is not okay this was six years ago so it was young I mean I jumped into this and did not know what I was getting into I went to therapy and told that story on the first day. And I'm proud to say it's been years since I've yelled even. I've really become a different person. 
and patient, understanding, empathetic. I've learned a lot of techniques. My husband and I have struggled also through the process. Part of parenting is being on the same page and being a united front and an empathetic front. We've had to go to our own therapy. And we're at a place now where I feel we are great parents. We are doing this parenting thing right. We make mistakes, absolutely. Right now my son's on a computer screen and it drives me crazy. And sometimes I question, am I doing the right thing? But we have come really far. We ask curious questions. I think we demonstrate empathy. We demonstrate kindness. We don't yell. And that story of throwing something at my son's head, I can tell it so freely now without any guilt or remorse because it doesn't even feel like me. It was so long ago and there was so much good that came out of that that for me it's just a part of the backstory that is no longer the truth in today's parenting for me. What advice would you give to parents who want to adopt children? A good friend of mine, Charity Bell, who was my mentor when I started the process, said to me, and she tells this story quite often, she says, imagine you're on a flight, you have a ticket to France, and you get on that flight and you are so excited about going to France, and you touch down and you get out, and everything's in German. You've landed in Germany. You're just going to have to enjoy being in Germany. And um, that is the best metaphor for the process. And I use that when talking to parents that are considering adoption as a way to find meaning and to make sense of all the nonsense and, and helplessness that it comes from the adoption process. And let me just say here that I'm specifically referring to adopting from the state. Adopting from a, through a private agency, very different process. That was not my process. I didn't do a foreign adoption. This was not a child. These were not children that were given up for adoption. These are children that were taken away from their homes. And I work with the state. And so that process is one where you have to be prepared to land in a place that's very different from what you might think. You might be envisioning from an early age, well, I'm going to be a dad and I'm going to have a girl and a boy and they're going to look like me and they're going to be smart and I'm going to take him to you know a show and her to a sports game you have this vision of how things are going to be and guess what it's not going to be that way things are going to be different and the sooner you can say you know what I'm just gonna get off this plane and enjoy whatever comes my way whatever it is I'm gonna look at it as a gift that's the best advice that I could give to anyone thinking about adopting. That's the answer. 
I want to thank you so much for coming here and allowing us to interview you. And your last question, you know, I read a lot about Barack Obama, and he actually always looked to the long term and not to the short term. So you have a lot in common with him in terms of your outlook. And I want to wish you well in the future, and thank you so much for participating in this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Okay. You have been listening to Serendipity's Person of Interest, produced and directed by Tonette Terhar and Barbara John. If you have an interesting story and would like to participate in this podcast or have any helpful suggestion, email us at barbarajmassed at gmail.com. B-A-R-B-A-R-A-J dot M-A-S-S-E-D at gmail.com. We would very much like to thank our guests and the staff at New TV, who are always more than helpful. So until our next episode, we will say goodbye. Thank you for listening. Just a limit.